We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yes, what's good, everybody? Welcome back to Veterans Minimum. I'm your host, Nick Dayas. At Nick Dayas 10 as you can find me. Veteransminimum.com as you can find all things VM. Joining me now for the first time in a long time, I would say. Isn't it, Alan? Hasn't it been a while, bro, since we've been on the show together? We've been waiting for a significant NFL yeah. moment and legal tampering, which, man, they really need to figure out a better name while we're living in 2023. But nevertheless, significant things have happened in football right now, so... Had to happen. Where do you want to start, bro? Oof. Because there's a lot, there's a lot still, of goodies. There's a lot of goodies. So where yeah, do you want to start? I'm still trying to process Jalen Ramsey for a third-round pick. Where Jalen Ramsey, not too long ago. I know he's calling for down year, but Jalen Ramsey was considered, if not the best corner, top three on everyone's list. And to see him go for a third-round pick, just, I don't know, like it hurt. I was just like, how can a premium player go like this? But credit to Miami. They clearly are loading up. They know... I don't know if it's their window, but they just know in the AFC, you need as much talent as possible to compete, and they're just stocking up. And it kind of, to to touch on the Rams, they kind of had to make a move like this because they need as much draft capital as they could get. And I think they're in a weird spot where, you know, they don't have, they have a lot of guys making a lot of money, and it's taking up the majority of their cap. And I talked about this on a previous episode, how guys that are going to get cut or released or that are going to get traded, oftentimes it's not because they're bad players anymore. It's just that the numbers don't align with what they're trying to do. And you're right. I think this is a good move for them. He's he's 28 years old. I feel like he was a lot older. Like I Same. feel like he's been in the league for a while now. And he just strikes me as a guy who I would have, I would have guessed over 30 at this point, but <clears throat> He is only one of seven players in the entire league to make each of the last six Pro Bowls. I know Pro Bowl is very misleading sometimes. We did have uh, Huntley from the Ravens be the Pro Bowl quarterback. And yeah, a little misleading. But Ramsey, you're right. It wasn't too long ago, bro, where he was the best DB in the league, defensive player of the year candidate, and a staple for that Rams defense, who the Rams had also given up a bunch of picks to the Jaguars. Now he goes back to Florida, but he heads even further south. This move, though, to me, dude, is... I think the writing was on the wall with how bad the Rams season went last year for them. And yeah, some guys got hurt, and that, that ruined it for them, but it was a really bad year for a defending Super Bowl champ, Allen. And I felt like they had to do something drastic. He looked disgruntled, too. They, I just seem, seems like he was giving up on plays. I think Raheem Morris defense to play a lot of zone. He wants to play more man and well, he's going to the right scheme of Vic Fangio. So I think that would be a good fit for him. So it, it, sometimes you just need a fresh start. So she given the Rams situation, you know, they got clear about a lot of cap space. So it's just, I think the exciting thing about Miami, yeah, they're loading up at the same time. I think this does have the possibility of crashing and burning just because they have so many players that either 
a little bit aging or paying a lot of money for players that are just injury prone. You look at Xavier Howard, you look at Teron Armstead, look at the quarterback situation. Like as science as Dolphins roster is, they could push, but at the same time, it wouldn't surprise me if things just completely fell apart because so many of their star players are injury prone or they're somewhat on the downside of their careers. And I'm not trying to apply Rams on the downside script, but he's got a lot to prove because there was times where he was getting picked on last year. And granted by some of the best players, Stefan Diggs, or even a guy like Chris Olave, but it's just I would be a little cautious with Miami, even though I totally agree. Let's be excited. Bro, it's such a weird position corner where you can be the best player in the league and then year to year, like it could change drastically. Like a team, teams might not throw at you at all. And the next year you might give up like 12 touchdowns. Like it's wild. Like the amount of times, that's why what Revis did was so impressive. Champ Bailey, even Patrick Peterson for a long time, man. Like they were, they were like the elite corners in the league. And now like even with Sauce Gardner, he comes into the league and right away, I would probably say he's the best, he's the best corner in football already just after year one. But is that going to be sustainable year in, year out? They pick up more on your tendencies. It's always tricky. But with Ramsey, you started seeing it during the Super Bowl, dude. Like during that Super Bowl run, Mike Evans had a big game in the playoffs against them. You had uh, Ayuk and Debo were doing whatever they wanted. And then in the Super Bowl, T. Higgins went bananas. He had over 100 yards in that too. So, yeah, he's he is a, a really good corner. He's held to a high standard, but he's not exactly untouchable dude and i feel like the rams are just in a position now where they have to dump some of these salaries that they have because they're well over the cap and they have no draft capital and i know they probably wanted more than just a third round pick for ramsey but you're also dumping one of the highest paid salaries for a db to miami also who now has they're gonna have to make a decision on bradley chubb who they have over there too that they gave up a first round pick for and they picked up the fifth year option yeah yeah, they picked up the fifth-year option on Tua, but you also have Tyreek Hill now that makes north of $30 million a year. So you're right. It could end It could end really, really bad for Miami despite getting all these big names, Alan. They did sign David Long, who I think is one of the most underrated three-down linebackers. Just, I think, got announced like 10 minutes ago. So I, I like that move a lot as well. I think he was a big staple of why that Titans defense was among the better units in the league. The Bears made a massive trade, which I, as a Justin Fields backer, it's an A-plus trade for me. They get DJ Moore from Carolina, and now the Panthers have the number one pick in the draft. And maybe the Bears, maybe the Bears are in love with a guy that they feel they could get at nine. That they could still possibly draft a quarterback. I don't think so. But what they what they're doing is exactly what I want. Young quarterback. Now you have DJ Moore, who is being paid as a top wide receiver in the league. I think he is a top wide receiver in the league. One of the, you know, he's a top 10 wide receiver in my opinion. He's he's played with a lot of bad quarterbacks. I think Justin Fields is an upgrade. I think it's going to be able to properly evaluate Justin Fields. Now, Mooney's going to slot into a wide receiver, too, which I felt like he'd always be a phenomenal number two wide receiver. And, yeah, you got Claypool there. Who knows what's going to happen with him and if it's going to, you know, he can, he might get cut during training camp. You never know with Claypool. But I just love what Chicago did. They have a ton of cap space. And now you'll be able to see, like, what's good with Justin Fields. Yeah. I don't think they care about nine. I think it's just a matter of getting draft capital. Yeah. They want to load up for the future because they have so many holes on their roster. Hence why they have the most cap space, probably been the most active team in free agency. So, yeah, I love the move for Chicago, but I think it's more of just like we need a bill for the future. Uh, we're going to believe in fields. And I think DJ Moore was just a big coup in this. I was surprised. I thought, okay, they're getting first-round picks. Everything's loading up. I was like, wow, DJ Moore. Mm. Okay, this is a huge asset for a team that desperately needs receivers. And for team, just in general, like the receiver market, as we know, is so bad this year. It's really bleak. So for them to get one of the better receivers in the league, someone that's still ascending, terrific route runner, you use them on jet sweeps and the rounds, like it's exciting. So I, uh, A plus move for Chicago, much needed. And 
it's going to get to points like, okay, Justin Fields, he's shown those flashes. Now can he put together a sustainable body of work? I love what you said about DJ Moore, and it's so true, where he's still ascending. We haven't really seen him in his absolute apex yet. You're not getting a wide receiver where I would love DeAndre Hopkins, but I think we've seen the best of D-Hop already. I think we've seen the best of Odell already. You know, 20 teams were at his workout on Friday. So when you make this move for DJ Moore, I think you're still going to get him to level up once again. And what he's going to do for this offense and what he's going to do for Justin Fields, I think is great. And also, let's not forget, my New York Giants ended up getting an extra first-round pick in the Fields trade when they went up to get Fields. So them trading back now, they've acquired more draft picks. So it's a, it's an amazing move. It's what I wanted Chicago to do. I think Chicago potentially could be very, very sneaky next year if Justin Fields ends up taking that now third-year leap. We usually get it in year two, that leap in the quarterback, but... Man, now he's going to have a legitimate weapon, and I think that's going to work wonders for him. So I'm excited for this move. I completely missed this until now. Jimmy G is on the Raiders, Alan? Yeah, uh, Raiders just doing Raider things. You don't really know what their plan is, but why not stay, something. Bro, why not stay with Carr at that point? Am I bugging? I think the trust is broken, but I yeah, agree with you there. That's... But Garoppolo is not an upgrade. He's someone you can't trust to play a full season. I know he took some strides, but I think that was more due to Shannon's system rather than himself. It's a very uninspiring move. Uh, I found a Raider fan. I'm hoping Jared Stidham, if they do open competition, that Jared Stidham beats him. But based on that contract, I think Garoppolo is going there to be a starter. Look, he does have a pre-existing relationship with Josh McDaniels. So that's something that would get me a little bit more excited if I'm a Raider fan. You're right about the trust being broken. And also, like, Jimmy G's going to have weapons to work with. I like some of the weapons that the, the Raiders have for sure with Waller and Adams and Renfro, and they did the franchise with Josh Jacobs. I'd be bummed off on Devontae Adams right now because Jimmy, he just can't throw outside numbers. He's not the most consistent deep ball thrower. Like, ah, man, I don't want to see Devontae Adams become a possession receiver, but I fear he might. Well, yo, also, you got to be bummed out that you ended up joining the Raiders to play with your boy. And then after one season, you didn't, well, you didn't even get to complete a season with him. They just got rid of him. Damn. You got a raw deal, man. Like, Devontae Adams, like, he's the cream of the crop, man. How are you going to treat him? Yo, you think if he could do it over knowing what he knows now, he stays in Green Bay? Uh, yeah, I would assume so. But money talks, and who knows what Green Bay situation is, given that they've been in the news all day. What do you make of Rodgers to the Jets? A lot of people are saying all but confirmed. Yeah, for sure. Like, look, the Jets are pretty much especially the coaching staff, I would say. Maybe not Joe Douglas, because Joe Douglas, that, that draft looks like to be one of the best ones in a long time with uh, Garrett Wilson, Brees Hall, um, my blanket. Oh, Sauce Gardner, of course. Like I think Joe Douglas would be safe, but Robert Sala, uh, he's someone that I think is on the hot seat. So I, they're just pushing by any means to get this year. Let's at least get to the playoffs. Like I don't know if it's a hot take, but I think the Jets could be the fourth best team in the AFC if they get Rodgers. And they continue to up the roster a little bit. I don't think they're going to go over the Chiefs or the Bengals or the Bills, but I put them right up there with Miami and Jacksonville if they get Rodgers because they got they got the skill position players, they got the really good defense. Although I think that defense got a little overrated by the end of the season, but they're still a really good unit. So I, you get Rodgers in there, they're going to win eleven games. So uh, make it happen. I think the Jets will be relevant. It's just. Can they push past the second round? That's where you, you have major doubts. Well, so that was going to be one of my questions to you. If he goes to the Jets, like, where do you put him in the AFC? You answered that. I think they would definitely be a playoff team because it just got to be. Yeah. He don't even need to be that ridiculous. Like, he's not going to be an MVP again. But I think depending on what the Jets also lose, we got to factor that because they're going to have to give up some assets in order to bring him in here. I would love the offense, obviously. And you mentioned that the defense kind of fell off at the end. It's like, yeah, bro, but no shit. Isn't it going to fall off when you know yeah. that Zach Wilson's going to go out? It's going to be a three and out every time he touches the ball. Or 
or he's going to cause a turnover and then the other team's going to have first and 10 from the 18-yard line, of course they're going to be dejected when they go out there. But Playing I think... 80 snaps a game. Yeah, like, oh. they're going to be... They're exhausted, dude. They're on the field for 40 <laughs> minutes a game. Of course, they're, they're going to fall off a little bit. But you're right about Salah being on the hot seat. I also think, like... Bro, Joe Douglas got to make the playoffs too. How many years has it been for them? Also, I know that he's going to have the cachet of the draft. Also, Johnson that they drafted in the first round was a pretty promising sure. piece for them. And But you know GM, GMs get more leeway. Like They always give GMs more time, I feel like. Yeah, it's usually the, the, the coach that's the scapegoat first, and then you kind of work backwards from there. But I think, I think they would be a playoff team for sure. I mean, they were almost a playoff team last year with how bad the quarterbacks were. And mm -hmm. a lot of people are just blindly betting the Jets to win the Super Bowl next year. I'm not going to get that crazy. I still think that it's, it's, I'm not even putting Buffalo, bro. I think it's Kansas City, Cincinnati, and the AFC. And then it's the next tier where you have your Jaguars, your Bills. That's fair. I'd put the Jets in there. I'd put the Chargers in there. You know, as I, as I sigh, because we always oh, put man. the, we're always high on the Chargers. Chargers yeah. Well, well, look, they, they made some moves too. They restructured a lot of cap space to free up like close to $30 million, which I don't know how they did that because they had a bad, bad cap situation. And then right before we started recording, we get the alert that Austin Eckler asks for a trade request. I think he's a massive part for this offense, and he's been a guy to bail out Justin Herbert many, many times with the check down and how great he is out the backfield. Dude, he's had over 35 touchdowns in the last two seasons. Back-to-back -back years, he led the NFL in touchdowns. But he's in a weird position where he wants to get paid, and I don't know if the Chargers want to allocate a lot of money to that position, especially with Herbert Lumen, two wide receivers making north of $19 million a year. You got Mack, you got Bosa. There's a lot. They're, 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 it seems like both L.A. teams, bro, except Herbert hasn't gotten paid yet, but both LA teams are paying five or six guys, like 70% of their cap. And then everyone else is, all right, we're just going to sign a bunch of dudes to these low end contracts and hope for the best. Yeah. I think Mac was only like 38 million, which is absurd. And let's not even talk about that JC Jackson contract. Oof. Uh, that's bad. Yeah. So like the charges are, they try to Bro, front load everything. JC, and now they're paying the price. JC Jackson, we were talking about it before with corners. Two years ago, he's the best corner in football. And and now I know he got hurt, but now it's you're looking at that contract and you're like, yo, it's laughable. That position is hard for you to maintain at a high level. That's why the ones that do end up becoming Hall of Famers and have such an amazing, amazing resume and career. But it's difficult for you as a DB, not as a DB, but as a as a cornerback to play at that high level. That's why when you do have one like that, you got to capitalize and it helps open up so many things for your defense. Great. You know where I think Eckler could go and it would be a, a really nice just fit given that, you know, their history with these types of running backs. I think Eckler is made for Carolina. Hmm. I, I just think the way they can replace McGaffrey, give their first overall pick uh, a safety plug right away. Like, you know, Eckler could catch 80 passes. You can utilize him in a variety of ways. And given how bad the receiver market is, like, Carolina's going to be struggling for skill position players next year. So uh, I know they have the offensive line and they got like this, they want to build a physical running game, but there's not like you could fit Eckler into your offense. I think because Eckler runs bigger than his size. He may not have explosiveness, he may not have those like desirable traits you want for running back. Look, this guy's still productive and you could utilize him ways. So, all this, I just hear this nonsense like, oh, Eckler isn't all that great. I'm like, look, he doesn't have the breakaway speed. He's not going to break four tackles, but look, he has just a great skill set to whether it's to run the ball 15 times or catch 10 passes. Like, and he's durable as well. Don't underestimate Austin Eckler. So I could see a team like Carolina fitting him in there and kind of making him the centerpiece of that offense. Because Carolina, I think, wants to compete right away. They know the NFC South is there for taking. Yeah, I I like that one. I like that fit. You know, you were talking about the receiver market being a little weak this 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 offseason. I want to, before we get into some UFC talk with Brett Lawson, I do got to give some love to the Jaguars, bro, because they, they signed your boy, Calvin Ridley. Traded. They traded for Ridley, excuse me, last year, knowing that he was going to serve the suspension for being one of us. You know, he's being one of us, Al. He likes to degen a little bit. 
You know, whether it's it's cool to know that he's one of us is all I'm saying. But now you're looking at what the Jaguars are going to put out there, bro. Ridley as a number one, Kirk now as a number two, and he had a monster year last year. Ingram is back. Zay Jones is back. Etienne out the backfield. Like you're looking at this offense, like oh, Trevor Lawrence improving. Doug Peterson. I just think that that was a great, great move for the Jaguars, who used to be, you would laugh at the Jaguars. And you even laughed at them last year going into the offseason with how much money that they spent on all these signings. And then now you're looking at it as, yo, they built a contender down there in Jacksonville. You're talking about the NFC South being up, up for grabs. I think the AFC South is theirs. Like, no one's, they, sh they should be the favorite. Like, last year was the highest odds you'll ever get on the Jaguars to win the division. Nine to one, like we had said, the only way that they can make the playoffs is for them to win the division. You're never going to see nine to one again for the Jaguars. For the next decade, as long as Trevor Lawrence is there, they're going to be the favorite to win that division. And now you're just looking at this offense, bro. I'm, I'm very excited to be talking about the Jaguars next year, Alan. And I think he goes into a good system where they can let him acclimate for a bit. Like, he doesn't need to be the number one guy immediately because, look, really, as special as a town he is, he's going to need time to be back because he's been gone for essentially a year and a half. And that's exciting. He's going to be easily the best play caller because the play call in Atlanta was atrocious when he was there. So for him to be with Doug Pearson, you know, who could scheme a place for him, get him the ball in the open field would be big. But I think with Ridley, though, like, this guy just gets open. He creates separation. Such a terrific route runner. You also put him in a slot, even though I know that's where like, Christian Kirk's bread and butter is. But I just think the positional flexibility and you know, Jacksonville, I do think they needed like a vertical threat. Like, they were, their receiving course was missing speed and like the alpha. I don't know if really could be the alpha just because let's give him time to get back into the NFL. But he possesses so many things that they needed. That's just an offense. So, yeah, I absolutely love the fit. And it's just a matter of really at this point because I think Jacksonville has the infrastructure to put Matt position to succeed. I want to wrap with this. Give me one name as we head into free agency that you think can be a game changer for a team to sign. Well, a few of them I've already gone. Can I give you a couple? Like there's two. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. I think. Some that potentially could, could go to a new team. Okay. Uh, oh, wait, so not yet or, or I could do it yet. Uh, whatever, whatever, whatever you desire. I think we have to mention Javon Hargrave going to San Fran. What on? I don't know what, how San Fran afford this, but good lord, Javon Hargrave and Nick Bosa—that is not fair. <laughs> like to be Hargrave, besides Chris Jones, was the best D tackle in the league last year. Like he was unblockable at times. Like, we could talk about that Philly D line, but Hargrave's the one that put him over the top. And now you put those those stunts are gonna run. I think Ark Armstead will be there another year, but he has a bit of a tough cap situation. But I think San Fran knows once again it's their window, and they're just going to spend and load up and see what happens with Lance and Purdy, even though who knows what Purdy's situation is. But yeah, that move blew me away because I thought Hargrave was going to end up like in Chicago where a team had like 80, 90 million cap space, uh, cap space. But like San Fran did not see that coming in. For San Fran, as we know, Super Bowl contender, you know, they felt Hargrave's wrath in the NFC Championship last year. Now they got him. Oof. It's the Niners. I know I know we like to joke around the Chargers are like the offseason team that got hyped about, but I feel like the Niners have become that team a bit, but at least the Niners live up to expectations. Yeah, that Once I don't again. think that I don't think that's fair because at least the Niners are in the conference title game pretty much every year since yeah. Shanahan's gotten there, where the Chargers like barely make the playoffs. Fair enough. I don't want to put my, I shouldn't put my tier, but I just think like I think the Niners are a team that we do tend to get excited about in the offseason. I just think it's now gonna be another year where we do because I think Hargrave is an absolute game worker. Uh, he's missed only three games in like eight years being a league. Incredible move. John Lynch, once again. Yeah, that one's going to be good. It also weakens an opponent in your conference. And already, like Darius Slay, he's requested to talk to other teams because the Eagles have a lot of people that they got to pay, man, on that defense, especially. And they haven't paid Hurts yet. So that's why the, the two teams that did really, really well this year that I was very, very high on coming into the season were Philly and Minnesota. And there's a lot of red flags heading into this offseason and into next season where I would be concerned if I'm a fan of either of those teams. I think a lot of decisions got to be made. 
The Vikings lost Patrick Peterson. He announced it on a podcast. Adam Thielen, they got rid of. You know, Dalvin Cook, who knows what happens with him. There are some reports that I'm reading from people whose opinion I trust in Minnesota saying that they might make a decision there because he's a big cap hit. So it's going to be, it, 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 this is going to be fun. The next couple of weeks is going to be fun. The NFL has become a 12-month sport and they don't take no breaks. There's always news like this Aaron Rodgers thing has, we've been talking about it since the season ended and we still don't have an answer. So it's going to be fun to monitor this over the next couple of weeks. Before we talk UFC with Brett Lawson, Alan, tell the people where they can find you if they want to contact you and if you're working on anything. Uh, Alan Stark, that's A-L-L-E-N-S-T-R-K. And yes, I'm covering a team that is currently winning the offseason. The Atlanta Falcons are making moves for the first time in five years. I am very enthusiastic. Jesse Bates, yep, Ivan yep. Yamada, Janu Smith, Risa, Chris Lynch from highest paid Garden League. It's all happening in Atlanta right now. Atlanta, I don't know if they're relevant again, but damn it, they're winning the offseason. So baby steps. Hey, man. And uh, I, think, I think it's cool to announce that uh, you'll be in studio in a couple of weeks, bro. Yes. Uh, I'm coming it. to Las Vegas, folks. Long time coming. Let's go. We built this up. We built this up from the basement era. Now we're <laughs> going to be on the bright lights. I'm beyond thrilled for this. And yeah, we're going to be doing some content strategy these next few weeks. And we're going to be blasting out shows. Yep. Very much looking forward to it. Yep. So the next time you'll hear Alan is going to be in studio. And we'll get that vibe back that we had back in Queens. So Alan, thank you for joining us for the rest of you. Right after this break, we'll be talking UFC 286 this weekend. Edwards Usman with Brett Lawson. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I don't know how many episodes I've done since I moved out here in September, but you're the only person that Jeremiah texted me immediately Ooh. when you were in here and was like, you got to get this kid on your show. I love it, man. I, I appreciate that. That's awesome. And I appreciate you reaching out. Yeah, I'm looking, yeah. I'm looking forward to this. Man. Oh, absolutely. Brett Lawson in the building. Tell the people a little bit about your background. You were telling me right before we started recording all the places you've worked at. Yeah, absolutely. So I uh, started just basically doing college radio and, lo and local play-by-play. -play. That's how I basically started in sports casting. It's really just a dream I've been pursuing for a long time. I guess anyone in the industry can say that, and they all have their own, you know, their origin point. They're all their genesis, if you will. But that was mine, and then I was able to come back here and through different internships, getting my start locally on the scene through the uh, the gambling sphere, uh, out here at a local gambling ra gambling radio and television network, covering MMA, covering boxing, covering college football, just getting to kind of refine my on-air chops there. And now currently doing some local sports talk on a digital front, you know, online radio and television. Everything's also podcasted as well. So that's kind of the current movement anyway, obviously. So anything you could get live, anything you could get archived, you want. So I'm currently doing that, hosting a show called Student of the Game over at uh, Go Live Vegas. So it's awesome. We just started about a month and a half ago. And I'm lucky enough when I actually get the opportunity to come here at Blue Wire to check it out. You guys are kind of just on the same page we are. Again, everything digital, everything on available on social media platforms, on the internet, archived everywhere, video, audio. So kind of happy to be on the wave and very much kind of riding the same wave you are, riding everything with the fight game, the betting, everything, you know, the analysis of the odds, but also just the overall love of the fight game, of combat sports, of MMA, and of, you know, grappling, of kickboxing, of jujitsu, of wrestling. I'm much like you in that regard. So, uh, you know, our roots are very much the same. Our origins are very much the same. So when I got the word that you want to be a, uh, be a part of the show today, I jumped at it immediately. So I'm excited, man. This is going to be great. 
I mean, for those of you watching this on YouTube right now, you can tell this dude is very well trained when it comes to his <laughs> podcast stuff as he's cutting a promo right. wrestling style looking go. right into the camera. And I'm a, like you and Kel, Andreas, Cole, everyone. Yep, so yep. much so the you know, the uh, the nucleus of the family here at Blue Wire. I'm a mark as well. Let's so go. there's gonna be a lot of the terminology. <laughs> you know, my roots, my, my family's roots lie in Queens, just like yours do. And you're directly from there. So there's like a lot, you know, there's a lot here. We're kind of a lot of parallels. So I'm, I'm interested to see where it goes here in the next uh, couple of minutes. It's like, uh, what, what was that movie again? Um, with the Will Ferrell movie, dude, where with his with the step. step oh, brothers. do we just become best friends? Yeah, 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 right, yeah, yeah. absolutely. That's it right there, Dale right and Brennan. There. there you go. Yeah, we're exactly. Yeah, because again, you're well, well, well. Instead of karate in the garage, we'll be like rolling in the the parking garage. Yeah, here at the right, wind or right outside the wind. Yeah, right, right now. Exactly. They got the rug over there, so it'll be good yeah, for if, us. If you see Nick pulling guard on me or something, don't be confused. <laughs> it's just we're all we're on the same page here. We're good. Dude, how pumped are you for this weekend's card, man? Every time there's a big UFC pay-per-view, I do like to do yeah. a little bit of a breakdown. I would love to do mm -hmm. fight nights as well, but it's a pay-per-view where my show gets a lot of attention and a lot of people like to tune in because I like breaking down my content sometimes with for the casuals, right? Absolutely. Because especially with pay-per-views, that's when you do get a lot more casuals to tune in. Yep. This is a banger of a card this weekend. So many good fights. And my question to you is, overall, uh, very generic, but 1 to 10, how excited are you for this pay-per-view? I'd say about a 7, just because not only do we have a big rematch. I was at an 8. It's like so, a trilogy, right? Yeah, and, yeah. you know, again, you look at there's some depth to the card. I think it's interesting because it, there was one point, and you know this fall in the MMA beat for a long time, both just betting and just generally, that... A long time for a long time they kind of stacked the cards. And it seems like recently, ever since you know the page turned from 2022 to 2023, we're kind of getting more of a, a uh, I guess a quality as opposed to a quantity in the cards. We're getting some like top heavy fights, you know, those two, three, the co-main event, the main event, usually really good. So it's kind of the point where maybe not every card is great like it once was, where it has two, three title fights or two title fights and a title eliminator. Maybe you only have two of those fights in the card, but the rest down is really intriguing and really relevant. You have potential up-and-comers, you know, future contenders, guys who are just out of the picture but have an opportunity to get back in the picture like we have with Justin Gaethje. You know, you kind of have that as opposed to the cards where you're just, you know, they go for broke on one card, like a fight night, uh, international fight week card or a big holiday card or something like that, a midsummer card. And then there's a card where you just are like, this is barely good enough to crack television. So we don't necessarily get those kind of cards, but I noticed since ever since, you know, late 2022, early 2023, kind of ever since that Abu Dhabi card in October, we've been just getting very well-rounded cards where every card has something. You know, a few weeks ago, we have a classic fight with Makashev and Volkanovsky. Last week, we have John Jones returning to the fold. And now we have this, a trilogy fight. We have an intriguing lightweight bout. You know, there's just a lot to talk about. And it's almost like, boom, you're on to the next one. Well, like you, if you blink. Yeah, you bring up a lot of good points because I feel the same way too. And if you think about it, the 2022 pay-per-view yeah. slate, it's kind of mid, bro. Right. There was a great. lot of, especially where we know this one's in the O2 in London, which I'm very excited about because those London cards, man, the yeah. vibe of it, especially ever since COVID, even the fight nights where they had one in Long Island in the summer, they've had some in Austin, they've had some out of the apex, they kind of have a pay-per-view aura to mm -hmm. it because for so long, we were just in the apex, right? Even last week's card with Jan and Marab, it felt like a high-level regional fight. Right. Because it's in Vegas, but it's out of that facility. Yeah, Absolutely. and it just I'm looked different. You. It looks cool. So I'm going to try to have them out there. And with this one being in London, you know, going back to what I was just saying about the 2022 cards, like you look at all the pay-per-views that it, they put in Vegas last year, and I went to two of them. A lot of fuckery in a lot of those, yeah. right? You had the, let's go to March of last year. It was Covington and Masvidal. Cool, some bad blood, but no title on the line. Then you go to fight week and you had the eye poke with O'Malley. Everyone was kind of a dud after that. Mm -hmm. And then you had Adesanya who was fighting Cannoneer and that was a headliner. That was kind of a dud fight. Adesanya just, you know, racked up points and cruised to a decision. Then you have the Chamayev Nate Diaz fiasco yeah, with the which weight was, loss, which was just a mess all around. Just a mess. So uh, yeah. that's that's two of the three cards up to date have no title as the main event. Right. And then I kind of like the way that played out because for us MMA fans like the OGs, you don't want to see Tony and Nate being served up to get slaughtered, which was what was going to probably happen yep. to those guys. And then you go to the December card, 
You have Yuri ends up pulling out, and then Glover doesn't get that title shot. And you have Ankalaev and Blakovich going for it. And, and that, that was a draw. draw with the, yeah, exactly. And you're looking at it, you're like, dude, all these. We had stretches, and let's not forget, even the non pay per view ones, we had stretches where you had multiple guys go down with injuries. In the main you had, events, you yeah, had Ortega, back to back. Back to back on fight nights, Ortega gets hurt. It and was then Rockets. And Rockets right after Alexander Rockets. So there was just a couple of weeks where there was some bad juju going on, and it almost like there was something in the water. And I'm completely with you. And you know, the, the one banger of the card we did get uh, last year, the one with Yuri and, and Teixeira, obviously that card from top to bottom was incredible, fight of the year, and you pinpoint, that's easy card of the year. But like kind of like what you said, Nick, around that a little mid, when you know when you have a conversation at year's end, because in MMA, there's so much to talk about, you know, and to, to comprehend, and kind of when you put a bow on it, you usually on a good year can name multiple cards. Like 2015 had multiple cards. You had 189, 187, 194, all these notable pay-per-view cards. You know, other years in the past, two, uh, 2016 even, you had 200, 202. You have like 205, these notable cards where here outside of that one with that light heavyweight scrap and, you know, all those other bouts, uh, the Valentina fight, all that. You can't really name off of, you know, firsthand on at least on one hand, if you're counting them, how many numerical pay-per-view cards really stood out in your mm. mind this past year or in years past you could. Where this year, right off the bat, the past three of them, at least the past two and heading into this one, we may not be able to say that when it's all said and done. Again, they may not have top to bottom. You look at a great all-time card. But you can't say in the Sunday morning after that, that that card was a dud. And I think that's going to be the case coming into this weekend as well. Yeah. And also, we got to show love to that MSG card in November, too. Oh, absolutely. That one was that. Yeah. And you're right. And the one with Yuri and, and Glover, which yeah. was, was that in Singapore? Where that was Singapore. That yeah, was that Singapore, was the one right? in, that yeah, was the one in yeah, June. Yeah. 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 Yeah, those are the two best cards. But you're right. So far, we've had some banger cards and also the aura of John Jones coming back. I think that definitely helps it. But I want to get into this one because we have a trilogy fight in the mm -hmm. main event. We got Leon Edwards versus Usman, which, you know, we're talking about mid and we're talking about duds. Dude, I was watching that August card because my buddy Jared, shouts to Jared Gordon. Yep. He was fighting. He fought uh, Leonardo Santos. And I don't remember anything about that card until the head kick. And then the yeah. last image we have of that card is the head kick. And then all of a sudden, we're like, this is the best card ever. But it wasn't. And that fight also was, it was minus 1,400 going into that fifth yeah. round, dude. And now the, the legacy of that fight is the, come on, Leon, you know, his corner yelling at him. And then he has that moment with a minute left. And it's funny because I saw a video go viral of Bala Muhammad talking about him wanting a rematch with Leon Edwards, mm -hmm. right? Bilal Muhammad is another guy who's going to have a massive fight in, in, in a couple of months. Uh, his next fight is going to be basically a title eliminator, yeah, eliminator absolutely. Uh, against whoever it is. But it was funny because it circles back to this conversation about this main event. Leon was saying, ah, if you watch that first round against Bilal and him, that eye poke, it didn't matter. You were just going to, I was just going to cruise to a victory. Right. And then Bilal is saying, dude, how can you say that? When you were getting dominated for 24 minutes, and Landed then you that, win with the head, head kick, kick of the decade, right? Head, that's going to live forever. No matter what happens in this match, that's going to be one of the clips. They'll, they'll upgrade that promo package that plays before every pay-per-view. Yeah, the Bob O'Reilly one, yeah. Yeah, that's going to be in there. <laughs> yeah, the who? But I'm kind of feeling Usman gets revenge in this one, dude. I'm, my, my early indication is that. I'm completely with you. I think... Everything Kamaru Usman brought to the table, which again, like you said, is so easy to forget given what transpired in the final 45 seconds, 60 minutes or 60 seconds of that bout. But I think it's going to be same song, different verse. And this time he finishes the deal. You know, what we talked about earlier, how, you know, as we get closer to the fight night, the round props start to get a little juicier, a little more intrigue there. I'm very interested to see what these situational based props are going to be, because I think there's going to be a lot of value in that. I think Usman's going to keep in mind that I had this fight won. The reason why he had the opportunity to land that head kick was because I didn't go for a finish. And you grapple, you know the intricacies of it. If you watch Kamara Usman go at it, I mean, on top of it, you know, wrestling with a guy like Justin Gaethje every day, uh, you know, at, at that gym under Trevor Whitman and with the amateur wrestling credentials he has, 
the guy also has an incredible jujitsu uh, uh, skill set to complement that wrestling background. We just often don't see it because so much of often his wrestling is for control. We see him in the clinch. We see him, you know, pummeling with underhooks and stuff like that, like he did against Masvidal, or, you know, even keep, uh, keeping Gilbert Burns at bay. A lot of his wrestling is more defensive oriented, and now he keeps kind of like, he sets himself up for positions to let his hands go. We've never really seen him, at least in recent memory, go for a finish on the mat in those scrambles. I think in this instance, we see that. Last fight against Rocky, he weathered the storm to his credit. A lot of that was just because he was just kind of, I guess you could say, I don't, wanna, I don't know what the best terminology is, but he was just kind of sandbagging it just long enough to survive because Usman was kind of going for more position and control and to dominate rather than submission. I think he goes for a submission, whether he sinks in a an arm triangle, whether he sinks in a lock, whether he takes the back, gets the hooks in. I think Usman's going to be a lot more active on the mat after he gets that initial takedown to where Edwards won't be able to weather the storm. The pressure will be too much. And as opposed to, again, just that positioning, he'll go for the finish and take the judges completely out of it and the chance of it going late to where a good striker like Edwards could potentially catch him again. Yeah, I'm with you. Because Edwards is going to be live throughout the whole fight because uh -huh. we just saw that be the case. And that's right? the one thing in this matchup. You say it, styles make fights. It, stylistically, that's the one thing he really brings to the table that Usman has to be you know, weary of. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and for me, I agree with you because I've been looking at the finish props for this one because mm -hmm. I think Usman does put him away. It's interesting to note that despite Leon Edwards being the champ, He's the underdog. He's yeah. a two-to-one dog. In his hometown. In his hometown. The last time that they fought, I remember being on Bet to Win, the show hosted here at Blue Wire by Joe Fan. Yeah. And we were breaking down this fight. And I had told him, and I got very lucky. Like, I understand I, I was lucky. I said, I'm betting on Leon because I don't think he should be a plus 350 underdog no. in this fight. Right. And throughout the fight, though, Brett, I'm saying to myself, oh, what a shitty take. And then at the end, I'm celebrating like I'm the man. But... The way that fight transpired is how I think this one's going to transpire as well, except that Usman's going to go for a finish. Yeah. Because I think Usman is probably the best welterweight of all time that we've seen. And I don't know how many more fights he has left in him. And I think he wants to leave on top. I wouldn't be surprised if, dude, you've heard the horror stories about his knees. Apparently, like, yeah. this dude can't walk on concrete. He's very beat up. It's very bad. So yeah. I think he gets revenge in this fight. He, he comes from a great camp. And they know that they can't play with fire. You can't be standing up. Izzy's going to probably be thinking the same thing with Pereira in no, a couple of weeks. Thousand percent, same exact so scenario. Yeah. Usman is going to go back to what you said. Dude, you're this all-world wrestler. Can, can we see some more of that? Yeah. Right? Like, don't stand and bang with this guy, especially now that you know what can happen. I think, I think Usman dominates. I think Usman gets a finish. You can find that at plus 260 in some places. And a trend that I find... Pretty powerful. I've been, I've made, I've made note of this many, many times in the past. Underdog champions in title fights since 2009, 14, 8, and 1. Edwards is the underdog in this fight. Mm -hmm. And, and one of them is kind of an asterisk because when it was Izzy Whitaker 2, um, there was, it was a coin flip. Like some places had Izzy. Oh, yeah. sorry, the first time, the first yeah. time that they that fought was, each it other. It was essentially a pick them. Yeah, yeah. Right. But some places, they had Izzy as a favorite. Others had Whitaker. There was so variation. That's right. why it, it might be 14, 7, and 1. But it's something where, you know, you had Poirier and Oliveira. Oliveira was a champ, and he was the underdog in that fight, too. You saw it with Stipe and Francis won the first time that that went down. So the one no contest was John Jones and DC many years back. That got ruled a no contest. But to me, man, I think Usman gets it done. And then, you know, 170... 170 for a little bit, Brett, was kind of stagnant. It yeah. was it was Usman versus everybody, and, and, and he was lapping a lot of people. He ran through the division essentially twice, and people don't forget, like, the first fight against Edwards, obviously, we were so comfortable looking at that first bout heading into the sequel, and all throughout the sequel, even though I know you could look at the odds, like you said, and think, hmm, maybe there's something here, maybe the bookies are onto something, but much like you said, Lines can be off. Numbers can be wrong in this game, especially more than anything else in the world of betting. Because again, we're talking about human beings. We're talking about stylistic and situational elements here that change for each relative bout. And it was almost like everything that you kind of ha could handicap before that part two, you could check every box all the way up until that head kick. And it was there. Mm. So it's kind of hard to deviate from that. All respect to Edwards, tremendous finish. But it's like what you said, narratives kind of get, you know, misconstrued in this sport. 
And because of that, it's very easy to think, oh, this was just an incredible underdog performance. He survived all the, uh, the, the submission attempts or, you know, the takedown attempts by Usman. And when he did get on the mat, he was able to get back up. Usman couldn't finish him on the canvas and he created an opportunity for himself to end the fight. Technically, that happened, but look at what lens you're going, you know, you're approaching that from. Yeah, you can't look at yeah, the last moment. Exactly. That's, a, that's nowhere near a microcosm of that entire fight. Because like we said, heading into round five, they flashed the live odds the moment that them two went in and took the middle. And it was anywhere from minus 1,200. It was over minus 1,000 yeah. going in there. And I think the only way that you could bet Leon would be by knockout again. Absolutely. I don't think he could cruise to a decision over... Over Usman because, like we were talking about, he wasn't cruising at all. Yeah, it's not like this was a Colby Covington-Usman banger to where you think, oh, he won some rounds. Like, yeah. no, it was nah, complete nah. and utter domination. And I think that's why in this fight, in the trilogy fight, we see that again, but in a more aggressive fashion, like a shark smelling blood in the water. It's not even so much a slight on Rocky because he is a really, he's fluid, he's a great striker, and he's one tough son of a bitch. Again, you know, Kingston, Jamaica, has the British fighting culture embedded with him, in him. All these things make up a champion but not necessarily when you're fighting at the same time as what you said, the greatest welterweight, as I believe as well, to ever walk the face of the earth. We're talking about a fighter who at this point was kind of, I don't want to say it was in the rearview mirror, but he was thinking about possible moves up to 185, depending on what happened with Adesanya. Yeah. He was talking about fighting Canelo in boxing. It was clear that Us Usman was kind of preparing for the next step. And I think now, if anything, that's all out the window. All that matters is reclaiming his gold. And I think he gets the strap when it's all said and done. I think he gets a finish. Yeah, I do too. I couldn't agree with you more. Sometimes it's a little wacky when you hear guys talking about other things. Like, never look past your opponent. Mm -hmm. It was, you know, you mentioned Adesanya and moving up to 185. Remember Strickland during that press conference when Izzy last fought um, he was when sorry when Strickland was fighting Pereira. Yeah, and then Strickland Izzy was fighting. Was, can't, yeah, yeah. Can't near, Strickland yeah. was talking about a matchup with Izzy, and Izzy was like, "Yo, man, this guy's dangerous. Just be careful." Yep. And then he ends up getting dropped. Worry about slept. him. Worry right. about him first. So it's always there's two things I hate when fighters do when they're looking past someone, despite what the odds say, and two when they're talking about potentially retiring or like this is my last fight because you never know. You've seen it so many times where a guy just goes out. And they end up retiring because they just don't have it anymore. Yep. And as someone that likes to bet, I'm always a little weary about that. So it's going to be fun. I think this is going to be a banger. I do how think much, how much in the door are they really? Right, right, right. right. And I think, I think both, I'd be surprised if this goes a decision. I think there's going to be a finish on Saturday in the O2 in the main event. And I do think Usman is going to justify him being a favorite. And then from there, we're going to see what happens at 170, dude, because. You know, he was thinking about 185 and mm -hmm. cleaning out the division, but now you got my boy Rachmanov. Yeah. I've, I've coined him future champ for years now from his first fight. And he's lurking there. You got the Bilal dangling there. If him and Covington And Bilal's been there a good minute now, too. Yeah. Like, just kind of just sitting there waiting for his turn. Yeah. that's now He's a bad matchup for a lot of guys in that division, too. Maybe not necessarily Usman, but again, when you look at across the board, Bilal right there is as good as anybody. I would I would love to see that possibly in the works. Again, lots, I think, like you said, it's going to be very telling, not necessarily just how it happens come Saturday night, but exactly when, like, where in the fight, exactly what he does. For all we know, maybe he hurts Rocky on the mat and he finishes him with, you know, ground and pound. We don't know. For all we know, Rocky has a completely different game plan. I mean, it's fight betting. You know it. Yeah. It gets topsy-turvy. It gets screwy like that. But if you're betting the stylistic elements, if you're betting the discipline, you know, the traits of each discipline and each style, it's hard not to go with Camaro here. The co-main also featuring someone else from the Whitman camp. Yeah, it's crazy. I feel like so many cars, them two fight together. Yeah. And at one point, and a couple of years ago, what was in that Madison Square Garden camp where all three of them and yeah. Nam Namajunas fought, yeah, with, yeah, fought yeah. with them. Yeah, so he, and I, in, even in uh, uh, one of the clips they do, I don't know if it was like the embedded or, you know, one of the countdown type specials they do. Whitman even said he prefers that because he likes, not necessarily from the preparation aspects, he likes both fighters all week long being in that same mentality. And, you know, kind of, you know, he watched, Usman watched Gaethje's victory over Chandler on that card, right. and, you know, before going on to take Covington on Covington a second time. You know, a lot of times you kind of want to roll over on that emotion, but also you got to wonder if sometimes it's a detriment too. I guess we'll find out. Yeah, it's always fascinating to me because there's been cards where Rose also fought on that. Yeah. So they would have three. And yeah. I think it was Chandler Gaethje that where they the ended one. up yeah. moving it yeah. to open. I was yeah. there for that. 
And they did it because Whitman was like, yeah, look, I like my fighters all fighting at this, you know, on the same car. If we get some breathing three, room three here. Three in a row is, you know, it's high level. These are title right. eliminators. It's, right. not, it's not opening up a prelim. But the way I would describe this co-main event this weekend is violence, violence, and more violence. And I think Fazeev is live. And he's not even a dog. So you he's can't really say dog, he's live. Yeah. I, I think he's live for... Yeah. I don't know how many people want to face him at 155. He's a boogeyman right now. He, yeah, yeah, for sure. I would say him and the other guy that I like a lot at 155 is Sarukian. Yeah. Them two guys there. Uh, we were talking about fight nights before and pay-per-views last year. Dude, I think my favorite fight of 2022 was Sarukian Gamrot. I've never felt more out of shape in my life yeah. watching a fight. Like, like those a guys. It's like a were, movie fight. Dude, yeah. yeah. Fifth, <laughs> fifth round with two minutes left. They're doing these <laughs> insane scrambles. Like the fight just started. I was yeah. like, Holy shit. And I was hung over too. I was not right. day drinking because yeah, it was a day card. What am I doing? I right. Like, oh my God. What a piece of shit I am right now. <laughs> just watching this. Talk about being out of shape. There's no, and especially when you're betting it too, there's always like that extra, God, I'm a scumbag. Yeah. And now man, at their own expense, I'm, you know, capitalizing, you know, financially from it too. That's the, that's the cherry on top of all of it. But now I'm with you. He definitely is the guy right now who no one really wants to fight because not only again, stylistically very dangerous, he can finish you. Yeah. And that's the difference. Like, you have a lot of Muay Thai guys, you know, guys with the, the Thai boxing background who can incorporate all elements of the striking of using all eight limbs, but they don't really always let their hands go to kind of go for the kill, if you will. They want to get you in the clinch. Right, and yeah. they kind of want to more, be more methodical with it. And if they do finish you, they want to finish you more like kind of in an area that's more familiar with them. Ziev lets his hands go. Yeah. He lets his hands go and he doesn't care. He actually has very accurate punchers for a Muay Thai guy, almost more akin to a boxer, but he could also incorporate again those knees out of the clinch, the elbows, the body kicks, which he did in tremendous fashion in the last couple of bouts that he's had. So all these kind of things point to a very dangerous fighter in a division full of very well-rounded athletes. I mean, you could still make the case it's the most stacked division in the sport. It's I mean, you, maybe not like how it once was a few years ago, but you could definitely make the case when you look at all that top 10, there's a lot of wild card factors in it. You have a fighter like a fighter like Gaethje, who's a great striker and an amazing wrestler, but never uses it. A fighter like Chandler, who's a great wrestler and a credible athlete, but likes to throw leather. You know, a fighter like uh, Poirier, who may have the best boxing in the entire sport, but also is tremendous fighting off his back. Someone like Oliveira, who's maybe the best submission guy in the history of the sport. Or finisher. They're, right, exactly. Yeah. No doubt about he does, it. He does both. Yeah, no yeah. doubt. So there's a lot of like wild cards in the, in the 155 weight class right Right now to where even if you look at their last fight, it's still kind of a complete crapshoot coin toss because there's so many guys who could just completely put you out. And Faziev is like the newest one. And he's going against a guy who may have the best chin we've ever seen. Yeah. And that's the thing that I'm starting to worry about with Gaethje do because- How many battles have, is too many? You have a great chin until you don't. And then when you don't, it ends bad When for the you. chin goes, you go. Yeah. You know, you know who's a guy who I'm worried about? His chin might be shot. Miocic. Ah, that's a good one. Yeah. That's a good one. McGre I, McGregor even too. I would say Max, dude. Oh, absolutely. Max been in some wars. I where think that was evidence going, even though he never really was truly hurt in the third fight against Volkanovski, it was more so just a complete and utter domination yeah. by what at this point is a superior fighter. You could kind of tell Max was just not standing in the line of fire. He was kind of more in it. He's always a good, been a good in and out guy, but there's been times Max just hits in the pocket and says, let's go. Yeah. That wasn't there in the last couple of fights. And plus you had the battle mm. against Yair Rodriguez. Like there's just been some wars there. And I, I think you're, I'm with you. McGregor's had some wars. Miocic has had some wars. Dude, Poirier also. Poirier, that's, and the, the fact that Poirier's chin is still yeah. there is amazing to me. We saw Cerrone's chin go. We saw Robbie Lawler's chin go. I mean, it, eventually it catches up with you. I have a thing with one of my buddies, Dylan. Shouts to Dylan, man. He uh, him and I, we always talk UFC and he's been on the show a bunch of times too. And we always say that if you're telling me a fighter's strengths mm -hmm. and the first thing you tell me is he's tough, that's a red flag for me. It's the same thing when like people would argue NBA resumes. Right. I mentioned someone has a gold medal and they're American. Right. It's like, it, how, like. No disrespect to the Olympics, but but unless if you're how, not, how many gold medals are you gonna how get? How many how many gold medals? Like it's not that impressive if you're an American basketball player on the men's team and you have a gold medal. Like to me, it's not. If you're if you're on Greece, right, and you have a gold medal, like that's dope. But it would always be the case for Carmelo Anthony when people used to argue for Melo, they would say, "Oh, yo, but he got three gold medals." It's like, 
Come on, dude. You kind of should. They're, they're favored by 30 points every single game. They're minus 800 to win every gold medal. Right. It's not that impressive there, to me. Sorry. There, I know a, I might be on my own here, but. There's a reason why that 04 team was considered such an anomaly and the yeah. 08 team the, to bounce back and win gold was considered like a huge storyline because it something happened that never happens. Right. Notice how ever since then, it's not really much of a talking it's point. It's not at all. Because they went back to dominating. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so, so when we're talking about UFC fighters, when I ask you like, yo, what do you think of this guy? If you tell me immediately, Yo, he's tough. I'm like, oh boy. I like that. Because you know what it is? It's that. And that's that's what we have with Gaethje too. Yeah. Like that's one of the, the main things that they say. Like, you know, Gaethje's a tough fighter. And he is. Like no disrespect to him or yep. not to discredit him. But I worry about a guy like Gaethje, guys like Poirier, where they've been in these wars, dude, which we love as fans, mm -hmm. right? Like we want to see those kind of fights. But man, Dan Hooker has never been the same since that poor year. Not at right? all. Right? It's like win, loss, 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 win. You Look know at, what I mean? Joanna uh, Jacek, there's another yeah. one. I mean, you got to wonder, Rose has now been in some scraps. How much longer does she have? Like, it always seems to catch up with you. And I also love the point that you make in that it's a red flag because it's not so much will scare you off in the fact that you think he's a liability to get finished. It's more so, okay, what are you going to do to finish your opponent because you could have the best chin in the world. That's not hurting the guy who's actually hitting you. Even if he punches himself out and, you know, gas himself out, you still have to do something on top of that. And that for a long time was been, the, was the question on Gaethje is that, is he a good fighter with a tremendous amount of heart, toughness, grit, and moxie, or is he, you know, and, and is that it, or is he an elite fighter where that's kind of just a bonus attribute? It's kind of been ebbs and flows based off of his opponent and based off the style. And, you know, you have someone again with tremendous wrestling credentials, as good as anybody really in that division in terms of the amateur aspect. And someone, again, who trains with another elite uh, amateur wrestler in Kamaru Usman, and he never really uses it. Mm -hmm. Much like Michael Chandler, never really uses it. Yoel Romero, even Henry Cejudo. It's like some of these guys, once they get comfortable throwing leather and learning how to let their hands go, and they have that explosive, quick twitch athleticism as it is, that's what they want to go to. And yeah, it's been entertaining and it's been fun, but it also makes it very hard to predict going in. And also on top of it, Gaethje against Chandler, it's tough because on that, I'd say going in, I'd probably edge out Chandler. There's a lot of elements to Chandler's game that kind of Gaethje brings to the table as well, but I like Chandler's ability to possibly finish the fight more. It was hard to pick against Chandler in that fight. What happens? We see Gaethje come through. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So like every time you start to kind of doubt him, you see him in these wars against Poirier. Same with Tony Ferguson. You think Tony Ferguson at that point, maybe he still has enough left in the tank to be Dude, an issue. Going back, going back to talking about toughness. Right. Tony, after There's that no, Gaethje fight, never, never the, same. the same. Never the same. It's almost like he took his soul. Yeah. And going into that fight is, you know, hindsight, you know, 2020. But at the same time, you think like, wow, this could be a bad matchup for Justin. So Justin is that kind of fighter to where you can never count him out because the chin is so good and the game and the heart is always going to be there. The dude's an absolute dog. But will he be able to do enough to put his opponent away? And with a guy with a Muay Thai background like this, I don't know. And the last time we saw Fazeev was really impressive because that was a five-round main event yeah. against RDA, who, yo, I was never an RDA guy. His resume, man. I Legends. was looking at it the other day. Legends. Because he put out some uh, cryptic tweet about, you know, like, guys, guys don't call me out, and I never say no to fights. Yeah. And you look at the resume, like, he's only fought top five guys. In two divisions, too. Yeah. That's yeah. what's so crazy. 170 and 170. Yep. Yeah. This fight is going to be violence. It's minus 500 that the judges don't need to be given a decision, mm -hmm. right? So inside the distance there, fight doesn't go, I should say. And you're looking at some of these. I mean, you have Justin Gaethje coming back at what? Plus 190 as a dog. That's hard he, not to look at. He is the definition of a live dog. Absolutely. Like he's going to fight for your money. And That's something look at I how like those say. odds change. That's something I like to say with, with sports betting in MMA, how there are some underdogs that will fight for your money. And what I mean by that is like yep. Marab over the weekend against Jan. He's going to fight for your money. He's not going to go out like a sucker. You know what you're going to get out of him. He's going to keep the pace. He's a tough out. Same thing with Gaethje. Gaethje has a two-to-one dog. I'm definitely going to be betting on Gaethje this weekend, even though I think Fazeev might be able to get a finish. I think a two-to-one line is a little off there. Yeah. And it brings me into another fight on the main event as we start to wrap up on the main card because mm -hmm. uh, I do have someone else coming on. That's our, I'm definitely going to have yeah, you on again, Yeah, we can again, talk shop on we, this. Yeah, no, absolutely. absolutely. And likewise, but when I when I wrap things up, I'll let him know where to find me. We'll get you on as well. Yeah, yeah maybe no, even sometime next week to wrap things up. For sure. Yeah. There is a fight this weekend that... 
think it might be the best, the biggest bet I'll ever make in MMA. And I went over to uh, the MGM on Saturday night because I cleaned up last week. I, I loved Lipsky. Yeah. Shout out to the members of the Patreon. You're getting the picks you're eating as well. It's not just me cashing these out. It's one of the perks for being a member of the Patreon. But at Volkov, couldn't believe that line, plus 140. I was like, yep. that that's wild. And after the first takedown defense that he had against Romanov, you just saw like he was seeing ghosts. Saying, it's so, and it's it's rock paper scissors. That's what it is. Like mm. again, lo, numbers numbers do lie. News a lot of times they don't, but if there's a sport they do, it's this. Where even the bookies, you talk to people in the in the combat sports, you know, handicapping world, they'll even admit, yeah, we were all way off on that one. Guys who booked UFC at properties in this town at this very sports, uh, you know, this very casino, they'll even admit they were wrong there. That's why they were so desperate for a dog all the way up until the Grasso victory. Yeah. yeah. I got, a, I got a good story for you. There was a professional better out here, which I'm not going to name any names, but I met him a couple of weeks ago. It was the, the week of the Jones fight. Yeah. And I get introduced to him and, you know, he's, a, he's an iconic name in the sports betting industry. And the guy that introduced me was like, yo, this is the kid I've been telling you about that bets UFC out here. He makes it killing. Yep. And he goes, oh, okay. He's like, uh, what, what do you like this week? I was like, John Jones. And then he goes, oh. He says, John Jones, everyone's on John Jones. And I'm like, oh, hold on, hold on. I was like, it's the only sport where public perception, it don't matter to me. Absolutely. It's the only one where if you tell me that the whole world is on a certain fighter, if I like that fighter, it doesn't matter. Now, if everybody is taking the Colts minus three, I'm going to be like, all right, there's 90% of the action, Brett. We might, we might have here. to go the other way, but not in fighting. And I go to him, I'm like, yes, that fight's not going to make it out of round one. It's going to take one takedown, and then it's a wrap. He's like, yeah. I was like, yeah, six to one odds, bro, by submission. And then he gets the first round submission win. Just saying, bro, just because you don't know about it don't mean it ain't true. It's, you know spot, it's spot on because, and it's kind of like what we talked about right before we came on air. When you're betting something like professional football, the teams are important. The quarterbacks are important. Defenses, coaches, skill positions, offensive, defensive lines important. But it all plays backseat to the line. You're yeah. ultimately betting the line you before bet you numbers, bet anything else. You bet else. numbers, not teams. You, exactly. Yes, yes. Thank you. You bet numbers, not teams, especially in professional football. You do not bet odds in UFC or boxing. You bet fighters. Even if like what we talk about right here, you get great a, a bit of great value, an opportunity for great profit. You have to take it step by step, frame by frame, because again, it's all going to be based off of that situational element that kind of is restarted and re the refresh the refresh button is hit every time that fighter steps in that octagon again for another bout. You have to just clean the turn the page and clean the slate. There's a fight this weekend in the women's division. She's minus one ninety, and this is a this is a clear the bank roll. Mm -hmm. Casey O'Neill, undefeated fighter, fights out of out of a Extreme Couture. Yep, shout out to Eric Nixick. I've had him on the show. Great dude. Always showing love. I can't believe that she's not minus 600. It's a gift. It's a, it's gift. a gift. Yeah. Uh, plus 350 by finish. She is someone who hunts finishes. Jennifer Maya, Pastor Prime. I think they're trying to give Casey a, I don't want to say a layup fight, but a showcase fight yeah. against, because you know they're going to milk the, oh, this is a former title and, challenger. Exactly. And Maya, again, Maya has a grappling background. She's one of those fighters who at this point in her career can still make it tough. So if you are you have someone who's scrappy, who kind of muddies it up, makes it difficult, and you come out kind of looking clean on the other side, especially a prospect like her, has made her bones in Tiger MMA, now Extreme Couture, like two elite schools now. This is exactly what you said. Maybe not a tune-up fight, but a showcase fight. I think the odds are absolutely tremendous here. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I I text Jeremiah immediately. I, I told all my buddies back home. I was like, yo, I bet this already. I bet this last Wednesday. Yeah. Because, you know, anytime there's a UFC pay-per-view, you'll be able to get a lot of the lines like a couple of months in advance sometimes when mostly like the main event or like the actual confirmed fights. But dude, I saw that and I was like, man, this is the earliest I've ever made a UFC bet by a landslide. And I'm overly confident. I think she's going to be a girl that's going to be competing for a title. Yeah. And I know she's coming off an injury, but all signs and, and and things that I've heard is that she looks amazing. And again, they're they're just giving her Jennifer Maya to be a sort of all right. This is a former title challenger. It's a good run. 
It's a yeah, good yeah, rub. Yeah, like yeah, we used to yeah, talk about pro wrestling. Yeah, it's a she's going to get over yeah, on it's, that. It's yeah. a, it's, she's not necessarily a gatekeeper, but she's not a stepping stone either. Kind of somewhere in the middle to where a win off her looks good. But at the same time, you're not kind of throwing her to the dogs too early like they have to some in the past. I mean, I remember when they did that to uh, to Sage Northcutt, to Brian Barbarina, who's on this card. Paige Van Zant kind of fizzled out too early. Aaron Pico, not at the best start to his career before he kind of was able to right the yeah. ship. That I talked about on this very set with Kel, the two biggest things I hold true in this sport are exactly what you said, Nick. Styles do make fights and you are ultimately betting human beings. You're not betting numbers. That's number one, especially on the betting side of things. And then just number two, more generally, like people peak late in this sport, dude. People become champions late in the sport. People often enter it late because they're often doing other things on the amateur circuit, so they're not able to get into it right away like you are maybe with boxing and something else where you start when you're seven, eight years old. People get in the sport late, and it takes a while for it to all come together. And sometimes when that clicks, that's when you see it, and it may not happen until they're in their late 20s, early 30s. That's why what John Jones has done is wild, being yeah. the youngest champion at 23. To only and get better and better, too. To only get better and better, and... The resume. That's what it is, dude. Like I said, I said on my show. It's Hall of Famer after Hall of Famer. Vitor, Shogun, Chael Sonnen, Rampage Jackson, Leona Machida, yeah. uh, Gustafson DC. twice. DC, honestly, one's a no contest, as you alluded to, but that head kick was so freaking incredible. I mean, yeah. I might as well count it as two times, especially given the fact I think DC is one of the three best ever. Yeah. I mean, you have all these guys, and then you have guys like Tiago Santos and Dominic Reyes and... Uh, and uh, who was it? Anthony Smith, like in the middle, like, and he's able to do it all there as well. It just, he's never, never once faltered and has only gotten better. He's the best to ever do it. It's, it's really, it's tremendous. Brett, this was a banger. Yeah, I was going to say. I, I love that you came on. I love that we connected. And I guarantee you this won't be the last time. We'll definitely talk about getting you on again. I was going to say, I think we fulfilled the promo. We kind of set things up with to start it yeah. off here, right? So yeah. good. Maybe maybe for the pay-per-views, dude. Yeah. I'll try to get you in. Because I, I like having people in studio. And, yeah. and now uh, I think the chemistry has been dope. Tell the people where they can find you Absolutely. on social. Yeah, you can find me on social media at Brett Lawson LV. I host a show called Student of the Game on the Go Live Vegas Network. Just a local studio out here on the digital front, much like you see at Blue Wire. All our shows are all live feeds are available, audio and video on all social media platforms, as well as Roku and our audio app, which has our audio feed. So you can find us on your smart speaker, your smart TV, all your mobile devices, your tablets, your computers, everything in between. And all episodes are also archived. My show takes place on Wednesdays at 1 Pacific. So we'd love to get you on that in the near future, maybe recapping some of the festivities. We'll see you go down here this weekend. Should be a fun one. And I'm always happy to jump on with you and talk shop because this is awesome what you guys have going on here. And again, much like me, you are cut from the very same cloth. So I'm happy we got to do this, man. This was a privilege. Shout out to Queens, right? Oh, I, Queens get the money, baby. <laughs> Gotta love it. At Nick Diaz 10, as you can find me, veteransminimum.com, as you can find all things VM. And we'll be back later this week with more. Peace. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.